Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, December 29th, 2022. There is great drama and suspense in the narrative of Yosef and his brothers. One of the cliffhangers after Yosef rises in power and becomes second in command in Egypt and his brothers come for food but they do not recognize him the cliffhanger is, when will Yosef reveal himself? One possibility is when he first sees them in last week's Torah portion, Miketz. He could have said to them as soon as he recognized them, before they recognized him, he could have said, Ani Yosef, I'm your brother Yosef. But clearly, Yosef has a plan and an objective he wants to reach. The question is, what is it? If it is to see that the brothers regret what they did to him, well, they express this clearly at the end of last week's Torah portion, the end of Miketz, but Yosef remained silent. In this week's Torah portion, Vayigash, it begins with Yehuda, who gives a speech to Yosef, and he recounts the whole story, including the suffering of their father, Yaakov. At any point during this narrative, Yosef could have interrupted and revealed himself. But only after Yehuda's last line, at the end of his speech, V'lo yachol Yosef Yosef was no longer able to hold back his emotions. By Yomer Yosef Elechov, and Yosef said to his brothers, Ani Yosef, I am your brother Yosef. Why specifically at this moment? What was reached by the end of Yehuda's speech that Yosef was waiting for, and until that moment, he could not reveal himself? So I've shared with you in the past several answers to this. Tonight, I want to share a new answer I learned from my friend, Benji Friedman. What started this terrible animosity and rupture between Yosef and his brothers? It was at the beginning of the Torah portion two weeks ago, the beginning of Toldos, where Yosef tells his dreams to his father, and his brothers. It's very difficult to share your dreams with another person, unedited. Maybe with a spouse, maybe with a therapist, but it's difficult because when we share our dreams, we are vulnerable. We are exposed. And so we only share our dreams with someone we trust unreservedly. Yosef shared his dreams with the people he thought he could trust, his father and his brothers, those closest to him. Now remember, Yosef did not deprecate them with his dreams. He was not the author of his dreams. And he reaches no conclusion about what they might mean. 
And if the brothers were miffed by the implication of his dreams that they would be subservient to him, who was only 17 years old, they could have just ignored him. He was 17 years old. He had a dream. Would any person, would any of us want to be judged by the content of our dreams, especially a 17-year-old boy, to evaluate and judge that person on the basis of their dream? Yosef trusted them. And they violated his trust. They took the dreams as an assault and they plotted against him with devastating results for everyone. Everyone suffers as a result of how the brothers respond to Yosef's attempt to trust them by sharing his dreams. Yosef's sense of trust is shattered. And this trauma is worsened when Yosef is exploited by Potiphar and his wife in Egypt and then forgotten by Paro's wine steward and left in prison until his fortunes change by being elevated by Paro. So when he finally sees his brothers, it brings back all the pain and darkness of his misplaced trust in them years earlier. That is what Yosef is trying to rebuild. And that is finally achieved by the last line of Yehuda's speech. So Yehuda is saying to Yosef, because Yosef had threatened to punish Binyamin, who was actually his full younger brother, to threaten him based on the trumped-up charge of stealing a, a, a silver goblet, which is not true. But there was a threat against Binyamin, the youngest brother. And Yehuda recounts the whole story. And then at the very end, Yehuda says, V'ata yeshevna avducha tachasanar. Evid Ladoni, allow me to receive the punishment instead of Binyamin. Let the boy go home. I will be your slave forever. Vahanar Yalim Echav. Binyamin will go home to his father. When Yosef hears Yehuda's willingness to sacrifice himself to protect Binyamin, that is when Yosef realizes he could now once again trust his brothers. And it is at that moment, and not a second before, that he says, Ani Yosef, I am your brother Yosef. Trust is finally restored. Every one of us needs at least someone we can trust, to whom we can display our vulnerability. Breaking someone's trust is one of the worst pains we can inflict on another. And it can take years to repair, if at all. We should work to become the kind of spouse, family member, or friend who can be trusted and never violate that trust.
So we know that Yosef suffered terribly at the hands of his brothers. He says this explicitly when he is in prison. He says to the other prisoners, Ki gunov gunavti ivrim. I was kidnapped from the land of the Ivrim, from Canaan, from Israel. And even here in Egypt, I did nothing wrong. That I should be placed in prison. Yosef is the victim of kidnapping and injustice. But when the moment of reconciliation and resolution finally arrives in our Torah portion, what Yosef says immediately after revealing himself is remarkable because what Yosef says we know to be untrue. But Yosef knows it differently. Listen, please, to his words. Vayomer Yosef el Echov ani Yosef. Yosef says to his brothers, I'm Yosef. He reveals himself. And then he says as follows. Vi'ata al te'atzfu va'al yichar be'enechem ki machartim Now, don't be guilty and don't be ashamed and don't be upset that you sold me here to Egypt. Ki l'michya shalachani elakim lefnechem all of this was a part of God's plan that I would be in a position to be able to provide food for you because Yosef had risen to second in command. He had orchestrated the ability of not only Egypt but other countries to be able to survive the famine. Had he not been in that position, leaving aside Egypt, his own family would not have survived. So he says it was all part of God's plan. God sent me here. This was part of God's plan in order that I should be in the position to, to, to interpret Paro's dreams and to be elevated to this position and to be able to help you survive this famine. You, he says to his brothers, I mean, it's just not true. You did not send me to Egypt. I mean, they did send him to Egypt. They sold him to, as a slave to Egypt. He says, no, you did not send me here. Ki But rather, it was God who orchestrated this. It's remarkable. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out that what Yosef knows is what we have learned in modern times about the human psyche. You know, the field of psychology is very wide. There are many schools. There are many approaches. There are many theories of what helps a person who's going through some type of emotional turmoil. So here are three of the most significant modern experts. One is Viktor Frankl. He survived the Holocaust and he developed, on the basis of his experiences in in concentration camps, he devised an approach that he called logotherapy. 
And the essence of that is that though the Nazis took away almost every vestige of humanity for those they consigned to the death camps, Frankel argued that there was one thing they could never take away, the freedom to decide how to respond. Aaron Beck is one of the founders of what is widely regarded to be one of the most effective forms of psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. He found that the feelings that a person has were often linked to negative thoughts that a person had about themselves. And by getting a person to think different thoughts, he found that their mood tended to improve. Martin Seligman is the founder of Positive Psychology. Positive Psychology aims to promote what he calls learned optimism. He argued that pessimism comes from interpreting events in a particular kind of way he calls learned helplessness. Pessimists seem tend to see misfortune as permanent. It's always like this. Or personal. It's my fault. Or pervasive. I always get things wrong. Optimists look at things differently. Negative events that occur to them are temporary. They are the exceptions rather than the rule. So within limits, Seligman argued, you can unlearn pessimism, learn optimism, and the result is greater happiness and health and success. Now what links these three approaches is, number one, there is always more than one possible interpretation of what happens to us, number one. Number two, we can choose between different interpretations. And number three, the way we think shapes how we feel. The word we use for this is reframing. Yosef understood the concept of reframing, which means to see the negative events in his life in a new way and thereby liberating himself from depression and learned helplessness. When Yosef gives this speech to his brothers that they are not the ones that caused him to be in Egypt, but it was part of God's plan in order to be able to save them from the famine, Notice what Yosef is doing. He's reframing the events so that the brothers will not have to live with an unbearable burden of guilt for having sold their brother into slavery and having deceived their father, causing him years of grief. But of course, he can only do this for them because he has already done so for himself. In other words, Using secular terms, if Yosef had been a patient of Frankel or Beck or Seligman, they would have advised him 
think of the mission for which you have been called. Reinterpret misfortune as possibility and see the positive aspects of your situation. Rabbi Sachs writes, not only was Yosef freed from a physical prison, he freed himself from an emotional prison. Resentment of his brothers. He now saw his life not in terms of a family drama of sibling rivalry, but as part of a larger movement of history as shaped by the God's plan. Rabbi Moshe Hauer points out something remarkable in an earlier narrative of the Torah, Akedas Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac. God commands Avraham to offer his son Yitzchak as an offering. Avraham is prepared to do so. And at the very last moment, God says through an angel to Avraham, don't touch the boy. I see that you are willing to do even this. That's all. The end. The next verse says that Avram saw Ayil Achar Nechaz Besvach, a ram tangled in the bushes. And Avraham offers the ram as an offering, a sacrifice to God, instead of his son Yitzchak. This is one of the bases, the sources of our practice to blow a shofar, a ram's horn on Rosh Hashanah to recall the merit of Avraham being willing to offer his son to God. Let's look at the words for a moment. Ayel achar nechaz bisvach. There is a ram that is tangled in the bushes. There are two ways of looking at this ram. You could see the ram as stuck, tangled, or you could see the ram as positioned in place for its mission as part of God's plan. A person has the potential ability to say to themselves, I'm going through a hard time. But this is my yi'ud. This is my mission. That is reframing. Rabbi Sachs writes, at the heart of Judaism is the idea of human freedom. We are not prisoners of events, but active shapers of them. Yosef's life shows that we can defeat tragedy by our abilities to see our life not just as a sequence of unfair events inflicted on us by others, but also as a series of divinely intended moves, moves, each of which brings us closer to a situation in which we can do what God wants us to do. I try to practice this. I often fail and wallow in misery. But when I succeed... In the moments I can see all the strengths I have learned, the tools I have acquired, and the blessings I try not to take for granted, in those moments, I don't only feel better, 
I feel more powerful. I feel more in control of my life. Now, I have a lot of room for improvement, but Yosef teaches it can be accomplished with trauma that is objectively a lot worse than anything I have faced. <clears throat> Finally, near the end of our Torah portion, the Shabbos Vayikash, Yaakov learns that his son Yosef is still alive. Vayomer Elokim Yisrael b'maras halayla. And God appears to Yaakov in a dream. Vayomer, Altira mer Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Yaakov makes plans to take his whole family, to survive the rest of the famine and be reunited with Yosef. But he's afraid. He's afraid of going to Egypt. God says to him, Altira mer Don't be afraid. Because I will make you into a great nation there in Egypt. Yes, it's true. There will be suffering. There will be slavery. There will be persecution. That's true. But God says to Yaakov, I will go with you to Egypt. And I will bring you back. That's God's promise. The Yosef Yashis Yado Al Enecha, and Yosef will place his hand on your eyes. What does that mean? Why is God promising Yaakov, don't be afraid to go to Egypt? Because Yosef will place his hand on your eyes. So a number of our commentators indicate. That is an action that occurs when a person passes away. Someone closes the eyes of the person that has just died. So the message that God is giving to, ya to Yaakov at this moment is that Yosef is going to take care of you, Yaakov. He's going to take care of you for the rest of your life up to and including closing your eyes when you pass away. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay in Egypt. You'll be taken care of up to and including the very end of your life. Okay, that's one interpretation. But the Zohar, which is the classic work of Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, says, Ze sod kriyashama. This is the, the secret of reciting the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, yes, when we say Shema, we cover our eyes. But what's the connection to Yaakov reuniting with Yosef and saying the Shema? So there's a passage in the Talmud that quotes the famous verse in the prophet Zechariah. And it will be that God will be king over all the earth by Yom Hahu on that day. On that day, God will be one and his name will be one. That's the verse, famous verse. 
The Talmud asks the following question. What do you mean, on that day God will be one? You mean that God's not one today? We say, God is one. I mean, that's the most fundamental belief that we have. What do you mean, on that day, sometime in the future, God will be one? He's one now. Amar Rabbi Acha Bar Chanina, Rabbi Acha, the son of Chanina, says, Lo ka'olam hazeh ha'olam haba. This world is not like the world to come, the world that is purely spiritual. Ha'olam hazeh, in this world, in our physical lifetimes, al-basuras tovos, omer, when something good happens to us, we make a bracha, we thank God. Baruch atah Hashem, Blessed are you, God, King of the universe. Hatov v'hametiv. You are good and you do good. Thank you for the good that you've done for me. Vapsuras rose. When God forbid something bad happens to us, God forbid someone we're close to, we love, passes away, we make a different bracha. We say, Blessed are you, God, King of the universe. Dayon ha'emes. You are a true judge. So, in this world, when something good happens to us, we make one bracha, and when something bad happens to us, we make a different bracha. La'olam haba, but in the world to come. Kulu hatova metiv. For everything that happens, we will say the blessing that God is good and does good. Rabbi Yechezkel Landau who was a rabbi in Prague in the 1700s, he explains that there are occasions in our life when we have good things happen, and there are occasions in life when there are sad, tragic events that happen to us. Now, a Jew is supposed to believe, and of course this is easier said than done, a Jew is supposed to believe that whatever happens it's for the best. Gamzulatova, this also is for the good. No matter what happens, Gamzulatova, it's also good. It's all good. And there are individual righteous people who are able, with their deep faith, to be able to encounter something that is tragic and still say, Gamzulatova. But most people cannot do that. For most people, there is a distinction, a dichotomy between good things that happen and bad things that happen. So we have two separate blessings. When something good happens, we have one bracha. When something bad happens, we have a different bracha. But in the world to come, in a world that is purely spiritual, when we are no longer confined to our physical bodies and no longer limited in time or space, we will be able to see what happens in the context of the bigger picture. We'll be able to perceive that in fact everything is good. And we will be able to recite even for those things that appear bad to genuinely and sincerely recite the blessing, Hatov HaMetiv, God is good and does good. Rabbi Yisachar Frand explains that this belief that essentially everything that God does is good, that is really what we are saying 
when we say Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, hear Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem, which is Elokeinu, our God, Hashem Echad, God is one. There are different names that we have for God. Of course, God is one, but the different names reflect different characteristics of God or different ways that we experience God. Elokeinu, which we translate as our God, but Elokeinu, and similar to the name of God, Elokim, that comes from the word that means judge. And the implication of that name, we use that name for God when we experience God as a judge, as strict, as uh, disciplining us. The other name of God, Hashem, Yud, K, Vav, K, that four-letter name of God, that represents God's attribute of mercy and compassion. So when we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, what we are really saying is that when we experience God as Elokeinu, a strict judgmental, judgmental God who does something that seems like it's a punishment and disciplining us, that is the same God as Hashem, Yudke Vavke, the merciful God. It's one God. It all comes from one source. It's all mercy. The Talmud says that when Yehuda Nasi would say Shema, he would cover his eyes when we say the first line. And that has become the universal practice. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. We cover our eyes. Why do we cover our eyes? Well, one reason is to be able to concentrate, to remove any distractions, because this is a fundamental expression of our deepest and most primal belief. But there's a deeper reason. Sometimes we try to say the words, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that the God that appears to be judgeful and the God that appears to be merciful, it's really all one, it's really all mercy, it's really all good. But we don't see it. In front of our eyes, there are troubles. And it becomes difficult for us to say the words that everything is for the good, everything is merciful. And therefore, we symbolically close our eyes so that we do not look at, symbolically, we're not seeing the troubles that are in front of us in order to be able to express an idealized statement that everything is actually for the good. And if you want an example of someone who is able to do this, someone who is able to realize that everything that happens no matter how traumatic or difficult or harsh it appears, is actually for the good, is actually part of God's plan of mercy. We find that in the life of Yosef. Yosef's life, and especially these words that he expresses, exemplify this approach. Yosef was able to see that everything that happens to him, whether objectively it would appear to us to be good or objectively it would appear to us to be very, very bad, Yosef was able to see that it's all good. It's all merciful. It's all part of God's plan of kindness.
there's a purpose, there's a reason, and it's all good. Yaakov is going to descend to Egypt. He's afraid. He's afraid because he knows through his powers of prophecy that this is going to be the beginning of a long and bitter exile and persecution in Egypt. And God appears to Yaakov and says to him, Altira Yaakov, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what's going to happen. Yosef will place his hand over your eyes. In other words, God was reminding Yaakov that everything that happened to Yosef in the end, all the trauma and all the troubles, Yosef understood that it was all for the best. In the end, Yosef was able to reconcile what happened to him with God's mercy and love. And so God reassures Yaakov, don't be afraid, because Yosef will put his hand over your eyes. In other words, God is reminding Yaakov that what happened to Yosef worked out for the best in the end. Yosef personifies this idea that the apparent troubles can foreshadow great and positive outcomes. Yosef will cover your eyes, says the Zohar, Zesod Kriyashma. This is the secret of saying the Shema. It's sometimes hard for us to perceive God's mercy unless we cover our eyes, unless we metaphorically, symbolically cover our eyes from seeing the troubles that are just in front of us. Yosef is our model for covering our eyes and allowing ourselves to be convinced of the truth of this declaration that Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, everything that happens is actually from one single unified God, a God of mercy and love. My friends, I want to wish you a wonderful evening and a beautiful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.